0: You are listening to The Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both shaping and being shaped by our surroundings.
1: The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their
0: world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Welcome to The Worlding Podcast, where today we complete our first series with my guest Erwan Roussel, who was recommended by Benny Neymar, who we spoke with last week about kinship and queer family structures. Today we'll continue this conversation, focusing especially on Erwan's research into queer mythology and or fantasy, as well as different ways of relating to more than human worlds. Hello Ewan, thanks so much for chatting with us today.
1: Hello, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, you and Benny.
0: (laughs) I know actually that Benny and you only met recently and you're actually living in Brussels working as a graphic designer and illustrator. Benny and I chatted a lot about his work, Trees Are Fags, in which he explored the culture of gay cruising in the presence of trees and he was really excited for you to continue this series and this string figure. So I wondered if you could let us know how the two of you met. (laughs)
1: Um, We actually met on uh, an online dating app and um, we set uh, a date at midnight under, under a tree and under the rain in Brussels. So um, (laughs) yeah, cruising under a tree (laughs) was the, was the theme of, Our meeting, I guess.
0: (laughs) I find that so wild that you've met recently and now you're on the Welding podcast.
1: Yeah, I was very surprised that he invited me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually also met you virtually through your Instagram account. Benny sent me your account and I can highly recommend listeners also follow you at farmik, P-H-A-R-A-M-I-Q-U because I found your aesthetic actually to be very luscious and full of energy and definitely queer with pictures of you with colourful gems on your faces and friends in forests and also lots of ancient imagery with urns and different hand symbols. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you created your artistic aesthetic and especially this word fantasy and mythology. Like, it's very... Open and exuberant. So I'd love to hear more about it.
1: Yeah, actually, my Instagram account to me is just a way to to try things, and it's almost like a, a sketchbook of aesthetic researches. And I try to connect the the very social media standards of selfies and uh, image of ourselves, and I try to connect it with the queer fantasy that I have which is rooted in a lot of different things, in legends, in antiquity, in, yeah, how can I shapeshift myself? How can I change form? So the Instagram account is kind of a a sketchbook for that. And this is where I start to explore the queer mythology and the queer fantasy. Because I think it's it's really important for us queer people to create a mythology around us because we don't have a history, we don't have a religion or anything. Not that we need a religion, but I myself uh, found that I needed to have some legends about about queer people, and and there are a lot, but it's more about fantasy than mythology because. There is no dogma or agenda in fantasy because it's speculative. You can dream about it, you can invent it, and you can find ways to create your own pantheon, your own history, your your own myths.
0: Yeah, I love that, this openness in the practice. It's interesting like hearing you speak and reflecting on different religions, especially connecting to the Christian religion, as that's what I grew up with. It really has these binaries, especially with Adam and Eve and good and evil. And I know even some pagan religions have Mm -hmm. these symbols also with this binary of the sun and the moon or God and goddesses. How do you queer them and entangle them in this really magical way that you do through your
1: work? To me personally, I grew up in a Christian, not very active Christian family, but uh, I grew up in a in a Christian background, but I also grew up in Bretagne, a part of France, uh, which is very um, attached to its legends and its pagan roots. So I grew up hearing about legends about uh, fairies and witch Sabbats and goblins and and everything. And at some point, I remember when I was a child, I was identifying as a, as an elf or a fairy more than more than a human. And so I I think I left this very binary view of the religion because I just saw that it was more a huge diversity of expressions into the, the legends and the fairy tales, more than the Christian religion. And then I discovered that there were pagan religions that were still alive and even then i i remember that i felt a bit outcasted because yeah again it was the god and the goddess and the sun and the moon and uh, especially in in religions like wicca it's really about a very het- heterosexual point uh, point of view and a way of of seeing life and and magic so i felt a bit um yeah again i'm i'm discovering something that makes me happy or that gives me strength, but yet again, it's in the binary. So it took a lot of time. And also I met a lot of people that showed me that you can do whatever you want in a way that you can express yourself out of these norms. And yeah, (laughs) I, I just try to make my own way into this and always try to dream about what I want and what I want to, to create and what I want to be the hero of, what is my legacy. And my queer legacy is that, yeah, I can choose to have queer ancestors, even though they are not blood related. I can choose to have queer saints. I can choose to have queer gods and goddesses. Yeah, you just have to fantasize about it.
0: <laughs> mm, I know that the word queer means weird in a very literal translation and it can be seen as being quite open but then at the same time I know that a lot of people that are heterosexual feel separated from that and I do definitely understand this need for kinship and certain communities of minority groups to stand together but I wonder how you see it. Because everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, yes, I love that. Yes, I want to play with that. I want to be a goblin. I want to explore these things. <laughs> but I'm also a heterosexual white woman. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how open your research is and how people that sit outside of those groups can also learn with and also be respectful of your perspective, which is obviously very different from my own, for example.
1: Yeah. I think to me to be queer is just trying to be yourself because as queer people, we grew up hiding parts of our personality to avoid persecution or mockery. And so now living the the queer life is trying to um, express ourselves fully and yeah, it's, it's a kind of search for, for freedom to me. I see now that a lot of heterosexual people are trying to escape the norms of the patriarchy and uh, trying to find uh, other way to express themselves, their sexuality. And it is possible, actually, we queer people had to do it under oppression. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. I don't know what to say more about that because I had a big discussion one day with a heterosexual friend who who was talking to me about, I don't remember, gay parties or something. And she said, wow, this is so great. I would love to have this and to feel so free and so joyful and uh, do not care uh, anymore about how people can perceive me or, and I think at this moment I was A bit triggered by that because you can do that. You can do that. We couldn't do that for a long time. And yeah, it it triggered me when, when someone told me that they want the queer life. And I'm saying that I'm just, I'm white, I'm privileged. So I just suffer from homophobia. And, and still I can wear, I can't wear skirts in the street without uh, being called names. And Well, I think, sorry, we we are disgracing a bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's, it's nice to stay on the topic because there is definitely a form of respect for different minority groups that you don't want to appropriate a culture. And then at the same time, it's true, there is a privilege in that I'm not a victim of homophobia, so go for it, you know? So I think there is definitely this fine line that is being navigated. So it's nice to dwell on it for a little bit. And also nice that you're so open in saying, come with, you know, we embrace different bodies, we embrace different sexual preferences and different ways of kinship in that way and coming together. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. I also saw on your Instagram account, I feel like a real stalker, (laughs) these uh, talismanic clothing items that you're designing at the moment and especially these T-shaped cotton dresses. I notice they kind of come to around the knee for people that haven't seen them and they've got these short sleeves and you're decorating them with all of these symbols and I was really interested in how this came about again like a manifestation of this very luscious and joyful aesthetic.
1: Yeah, this is the project I'm working on these days and I don't know why I really wanted to, to, to make this, this talismanic clothes. Talismanic clothing is, is widespread in a lot of religious practices, especially in the Islamic world, but you can find it everywhere. So it's a piece of clothing that you wear that is supposed to bring you a kind of power or uh, like protecting you or making you go invisible or align yourself with a saint or a deity or, or something like this. And I really wanted to explore that on a queer mythology perspective. So I, I designed this gender neutral uh, vest in linen very very simple cuts and I drew on them so for now I have three different vests for example one is about shape-shifting and eroticism so you have drawings of body parts transforming into plants or animals and you have cute sex scenes turning into something else, uh, people turning into birds or uh, penises turning into fruits. So, yeah, it it was a very joyful work to imagine, to to go beyond uh, the limits of our bodies and just to imagine what uh, making love would be if our bodies were more than human bodies and there is another one which is the the sadness vest and this one is a bit different it's this one is not joyful <laughs> it's the representation of how sadness feels to me and i almost try to make it into an entity Yeah, sadness as an entity that i can almost worship because <laughs> yeah sadness is a very important part of who I am. I've always been a very sad person and I wanted to have this cloth that represents sadness and that I can wear when I want to express this sadness. And yeah, it's almost about blessing this sadness, representing it and wear it like to align myself to the saint sadness.
0: to carry on these thoughts of this transformation in and out of different entities. So the penis becoming An animal and then the plant becoming a hand, or these morphing in and out of different bodies, I think really also winds back to worlding and this practice of shaping and being shaped by our surroundings, and especially this reciprocal relationship. I find it very beautiful that it's not the human in a way colonizing the other entity and deciding how it thinks in this way Uh that we often think about anthropomorphism as being quite violent in, okay, the tree feels sad when I cut it, for example. Like, I don't know how the tree feels. I can imagine and I can sympathize, but it is very much this alignment practice of how do I give space to something else and allow it to also inform me and perhaps share with me in some way its plant-like qualities or plant-like Sensations which could be very different to this human realm. Yeah. So I find that very interesting with these vests how they're not one directional. It sounds very organic in that way that it's kind of weaving back onto your body and then extending out to something else, which then is coming back in. How does it feel when you wear the vest? Do you almost have this bodily sensation of things moving in and out around these emotions?
1: Well, for now, I haven't worn them <laughs> because they are still in progress. But drawing on them really was a very emotional process, uh, especially the, the, the sadness one. It was, uh, oof, <laughs> I went to a very, very deep state of self-reflection and also for the transformation and the lustful one. It was very, very... um, What's the word for that? I have my uh, English dictionary.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful. No, I so appreciate you doing the podcast in English. I understand. It's very different to French. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. When I was working on the third one, which uh, doesn't have a name for now, and there are two big gender less figures facing each other with plans and word i don't know exactly what it is yet but i felt like yeah it's a kind of intuition um it felt like this vest was talking about justice i don't really know why so in a way the vest is i'm not controlling this vest (laughs) this vest just inspires me i don't know what it is about yet. So um, it is a bit reciprocal because, yeah, the, the shark I'm drawing with is sometimes more powerful than my hand, and uh, it just decides which line I'm drawing and what symbol appears. So, what maybe entity is trying to appear on the vest, especially for this one.
0: Mm. Oh, it also makes me think about unlearning something because I think this way also that you're working with the chalk and the object in relation to the linen, there becomes this entanglement of the intention of, okay, I want to create a vest and then the chalk having its own kind of groove or pathway within the linen And then the linen itself, I imagine, has information in it according to what part of the fabric is more coarse or what light there is in the room, which is filtering in onto the linen in a certain direction and calls you to draw there. I really love that worlding practice of even being within the event so zoomed in as drawing on the fabric. It's very poetic in that way, let alone the the bigger image of the reciprocal relations to other things outside of where you are right now. It's just really zooming in even on the creation and the artistic process, so yeah, I got very excited about that.
1: yeah, I was also going to speak about synesthesia if you want to introduce the word <laughs> <laughs> um, because uh, I feel like. Synesthesia is a big tool for for me as a as an artist. So synesthesia is a neurological process that makes your mind associates a perception with another. For example, a color. You will associate a color with a scent or you will associate a shape with a temperature or anything. And this this is a thing that our brain does all the time, but this is something that I really enjoy to, to work on. And for example, for the, the sadness vest, uh, it is really a representation of what I see when I feel sadness or how I feel in my body. And it really helped me first to give a shape and to give colors to a feeling in this specific work, but I think it's, it's also helping me when I. I want to create those queer mythologies and these queer fantasies because when I'm talking about mythology or or fantasy, uh, it's not always about a person or a god or uh, a very human-like entity. It can also be about an emotion, about uh, about a plant, an animal, or an element, and When I try to work with an element and to align myself to it, synesthesia helps me to give it a shape, to give it a name, a color, or something I can work with, something that is tangible, if you know what I mean.
0: Totally. I think to continue that thought, I just want to share the root word, from synesthesia because I think it's really interesting also in terms of entanglement and worlding and being part of and within our surroundings and in dialogue with different entities because synesthesia comes from the Greek words meaning synth which is together and it's <laughs> I'm also stumbling over English it's <laughs> <laughs> which means perception so there is this together perception of coming in and out of one another. So I think that's a really beautiful proposition. And as part of this podcast, there is this together perception, if you would like, of inviting listeners to experience the research of guests in an embodied way. So I'm a choreographer, And I'm very interested in thinking through the body and experience-based learning. So I wondered if you could share all these very rich topics, which are, (laughs) you know, floating around the ether at the moment. If you could share that with us in a practice or something we could do with you right now.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm going to share with you um, (laughs) something that I do a lot. And maybe it's going to be a madeline to post for for a lot of you. this is um, the Chinese world portraits. This is a game we used to play when we were kids It's very simple it's a series of questions if I were a flower, what would I be if I were a color uh, I would be blue if I were uh, an animal etc and it is uh, very childish, but this is something I really, I've always enjoyed. And this is something that I still do, actually, when I need to have a little map of my state of mind, my emotional state, and also what thing, when I feel that something is trying to approach me or or I feel that I align myself to something, I'm doing uh a Chinese word portrait. So um, I invite you to make one and don't be afraid to go deep in, in the questions. You can start with, if I were a flower, what would I be? But you can go very deep, like if I were a texture, what would I be? And in this texture, if I'm this texture, what color, what, um, temperature? Am I dry? Am I moist? You can go very, very deep and uh, this is really, really, really interesting. And also, based on the answers, ask yourself, why, for example, why do I feel like a sponge? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, this is something I I do not every day, of course, but uh, yeah, when, when I just need a little check on my mind, I do that. So I would be glad if you were try
0: this thank you definitely that will be (laughs) that will be my task over the next few days a Chinese word poet
1: yeah so Renee if you were a color what would you be today
0: (laughs) oh gosh I think I would be yellow going into orange you know on this cusp there's like yeah the different pigments flowing into each other You know, it's all reciprocal, L1. so (laughs) the orange is informing the yellow and the yellow is informing the orange. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for speaking with us and uh, completing Series 1. It's been a very unexpected and wild ride, and I'm so glad we've been able to join you (laughs) digitally in Brussels. So thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Rane.
0: Dear listeners. Thank you for being a part of this journey for Series 1, where we've dove into so many different layers of worlding, from the More Than Human Museum audio tours with Dr. Susanna Schmidt in Berlin to kinship with Benny Neymar in Paris and now this joyful exploration of queer fantasy and mythology with Erwan in Brussels. I hope you can join me next month for the start of Series 2 where we again return to Berlin to speak with that artist Yula Fleel about her research and creatively imagine what worlding can be. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Worlding Podcast. Gefördert durch die Beauftragte der Bundesregierung für Kultur und Medien im Programm Neustart Kultur. Hilfsprogramm des Tanzen des Dachverband
1: Tanz Deutschland.